0: This morning, we're getting back into our sermon series on the Ten Commandments, which we are getting close to the end. We only have a few more of the Ten Commandments to go. This morning, we are on the Seventh Commandment, which is found in Exodus 20 in verse 14. And uh, what we have been observing is that with each commandment that God gives His people, there are four things we learn. We learn something about God, about His character. We learn about how that character then instructs us on how He expects us to live as His people. And when we do that and see the, 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 the holiness of His law, it confronts us. It confronts us with the reality that we have broken His law but then it presents to us the promise, the promise of Christ. And so we will consider those things this morning as we look at this seventh commandment. Exodus 20, verse 14. This is God's Word. Let us give it careful attention. The Lord says, you shall not commit adultery. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you for your word. We're thankful for the law and what it teaches us. We're thankful for all of its truth, all of its weight, all of its power, that it brings conviction to our souls, but in doing so drives us to Christ our Lord, where we find peace and rest as he forgives us and makes us right before you as your people when we trust him in faith alone. And so, Father, we ask now that Your Spirit would work through the proclamation of Your Word. Where there is no faith in hearts, You would create that by Your sovereign Spirit working within them. And where there is faith, Father, we pray that You would strengthen it, that You would encourage it, that You would grow it, that we might all know Christ more as we consider Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we live in a world that I think, generally speaking, likes things to be neat and tidy. I mean, if something is dirty, we wash it, usually. We clean it. If something's broken, we try to fix it. If something's worn, we replace it with something new if we can. And no, we are not all Martha Stewarts. I know we don't keep perfect looking homes with everything neat and in order. But even the most unorganized amongst us appreciate some sense of order and cleanliness. And we all have our limits of what is an acceptable amount of dirt and mess. And so generally speaking, we like things to be clean and neat. But when you live in this world, the problem is that no matter how hard you try to keep things clean and fresh and new, They just don't last. The dirt always finds a way to come back. I mean, when I wash my car, my truck, I guarantee you it's going to rain as soon as I wash it. And so you wonder, why did I even clean it? And no matter how much you clean your windows, it seems that there's always some spot there that shows up. Things that you fix, often they will break again. And what is new eventually becomes old and worn. And when it comes to our lives, this is all true as well. I mean, we try to clean them up. We try to make them look good on the outside. But on the inside, where other people don't always see, there's still dirt there. And that is one of the reasons God has given us the Ten Commandments. They are like an x-ray revealing what our human hearts really are like. They expose the things that we like to keep hidden and often can keep hidden from others. They show us with clarity the dirt of our own sin that stains our lives. And the Seventh Commandment is all about purity, moral cleanliness. And it may seem on the the surface that it concerns itself simply with a marriage relationship, but like all the Ten Commandments, it goes much further, much deeper than just purity within a marriage relationship. The Seventh Commandment is for all of us, no matter where you find yourself in life. It calls us Uh, as God's people, to strive for purity in every aspect of our lives because our God is pure and we're called to reflect His image. And in calling us to God's standard of purity, it calls us to know Jesus because the only way that we can fulfill this commandment is when we are united to Christ by faith alone. If we are to be pure, we need to know the only pure one, Jesus Christ our righteousness. And so we need the seventh commandment. What then does it teach us about God? What does it reveal to us about God's character? Well, it reveals to us that God is absolutely pure. And God's purity in the Bible is expressed through His holiness. And so we read in Isaiah's vision of the very throne room of God that he hears the seraphim crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now that thrice-repeated holiness is meant to reflect the absolute superlative In other words, there is no one that is holy like God. There is none as pure as God. Never has he done anything wrong. Never has he erred in every way. He is righteous in all his being. Absolutely righteous and perfect in all his ways. And so Moses sings out in Deuteronomy 32, the rock, his work is perfect. For all His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and upright is He. God's perfect purity is reflected in His relationships uh, with His people. There exists a connection between God's purity and how we must know Him and relate to Him. And enjoy Him. You see, in order for you and I or anyone to know God and enjoy the blessings that comes from being within His very presence as we were created originally to be requires purity in the entireness of our beings. And so David writes in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. The connection between God's purity and its importance and how we relate to Him is especially seen in the relationship between God and His covenant people. Remember, God works through Covenants, which is an ancient form of relationship where there are promises, there are stipulations, there are signs and seals. All of these point to the relationship between people and God. And the Ten Commandments, as we've observed in the past, are a covenant charter of God's covenant of grace. They express what He expects Of his people that he has made his own, if they are to dwell with him and enjoy the blessing of his presence. And what he expects is that as his people, we would reflect his image, that we would be like him. And so we read in Leviticus 11, which Peter later quotes in his first letter For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And so when God says here in this seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, he's expecting his people to live in a way that is pure and thus reflects his purity, particularly in their relationships towards one another. Adultery, of course, is a defilement of the marriage relationship. In other words, it's impurity that enters into the marriage. That's what we mean when we say something is adulterated. It is impure. God uses marriage as a picture of His covenant relationship with His people. He wants it to be pure and unadulterated. He wants His people to be faithful to Him as He is always faithful to them. And so Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Hosea... Many of the prophets portray the idolatry of Israel as committing adultery against God. And therefore, since marriage is a covenant relationship created by God, which points to his covenant relationship uh, with his people, he then protects the purity of marriage with this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Just as God demands absolute purity and worship of Him, so He commands purity in our relationships with each other as His creation. And only an absolutely pure being would demand absolute purity like this Seventh Commandment does of us. And so what kind of purity does the Seventh Commandment demand? What is it calling us to do? In other words, what are the sins it is forbidding, and what are the duties it requires of us? Now, at first, as we read it, we may think it is only addressing purity in marriage. But remember, for every one of God's commandments, they are a heading. And under them, as we read through the rest of the Scriptures, God unfolds and reveals to us other sins that are related to it. So they're just the heading, and there are many sins that follow that are forbidden by this seventh commandment. And so there are many things, many sexual sins that make a person impure. The seventh commandment goes far deeper than just a spouse cheating on their partner. So what then are some of these sins prohibited? Well, first, it is all unnatural lusts and unclean imaginations. Now, Jesus opens up for us the the full scope and authority of the seventh commandment in his Sermon on the Mount, just as he did with the prior commandment to not murder so he says in Matthew five twenty seven, You have heard it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what does Jesus mean by lustful intent? Well, he doesn't mean that you notice someone and you say, hey, that's a handsome person or that person's beautiful. That's not what he's getting at. What he is getting at is looking on a person in a lingering way that covets and desires to know them in a way that God has reserved for those who are married. You see... Adultery, Jesus is showing us here, is just like murder. It is a matter of the heart. Jesus is saying that with your thoughts, your fantasies, your affections, what you read, what you watch, what you look at, all of those things can break the seventh commandment. They can be adultery. And so there is this broad scope then of sins, of sexual sins, that fall under the seventh commandment that all people are guilty of in some way before God. And so no wonder then that Jesus says to his disciples that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the Pharisees were pretty morally, outwardly, morally clean guys. They thought they were pretty righteous. They didn't physically commit adultery. But Jesus is saying, no, your heart is already adulterous. It does those things that it ought not do. It thinks those things it ought not think. And he reveals then the full scope of the law and says, no, you Pharisees and others, you are unrighteous because adultery is a matter of the heart. And since adultery is a matter of the heart, That means that not only do all unnatural lusts and unclean imaginations break this commandment, but so do all unseemly communications. And so Paul writes to the Ephesian church. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, flirting with someone who is not your spouse is not an innocent activity, no matter how it is portrayed in the world around us. And if you are married, words of affection and desire are to be towards those whom God has given you, your spouse. No matter if you think you're just doing it in fun or jest, it is still adultery. It still breaks the seventh commandment. And if you are single and you use words that ought to be only spoken between a husband and wife, that too would violate this commandment. There's a couple or many other sins that fall under the seventh commandment's authority, but let us consider two more. Prohibiting lawful marriages and promoting unlawful marriages. Paul warns Timothy to be on guard against false teachers who uh, deceive others. And as they deceive them, one of the things they do is forbid marriage. You see, marriage is a good thing. God has created it and gave it to His people as a benefit for humans, as a blessing, as a way that we flourish in this earth. And so Paul says that it Uh, They ought not to forbid marriage because everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. It is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the Word of God and prayer. Yes, marriage is God's good gift to humanity, instituted by Him in the creation of the world as a means of flourishing and enjoyment. And the one flesh relationship of marriage is to be received with thanksgiving, In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul teaches that marriage ought not to be neglected. He says, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so we're to promote godly marriage, lawful marriage. We're to encourage it and celebrate it. It is a joyous, good gift of God. But the Bible is very clear that God is the one who determines what marriage is. And he shows us within creation what it is. Genesis 2, 24, Therefore shall a man leave his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The Bible is very clear. Marriage, the marriage relationship, is between one man and one woman. And Jesus himself affirms this truth later in uh, his teaching on divorce, repeating the fact that God instituted marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman. That is the only lawful marriage the Bible presents. Nowhere is it permissible for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. That is not how God set it up. But what becomes clear with this seventh commandment then is that these sins prohibited are many and varied, just as they are with all the Ten Commandments. It is not just the physical act of adultery, but impure thoughts themselves that can be a violation of this commandment. And also... It is sin when we neglect the duties that are that are implied. By this commandment. And so what are they? What are those duties that the seventh commandment implies and requires of us as God's people? Well, obviously chastity and body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, but also the preservation of that chastity in ourselves and others. It means that we will be watchful with our eyes. We'll be careful with our thoughts. We will not let them wander to look at watch, lust over things that are not for us to see, that are impure. I remember being rather amazed that when the show, The Game of Thrones, was popular, that there were many Christians who justified watching it despite the nudity and sexuality of that program. And yet the seventh commandment is very clear We must be careful with our eyes, what we see, what we think, because to violate it is sin, the sin of adultery. Another duty required then would be that of modesty, being careful how we dress, not to be unduly provocative towards others. Also, it would require then that we resist sexual temptations, that we not give in to them, but that we pursue righteousness, that we be like Joseph and flee when that temptation presents itself. Now, all these duties required and these sins prohibited, though, when we consider them, they add great weight to this seventh commandment, a weight that we realize presses in upon us with the reality that we all have in some way at some time in our lives broken this commandment. Because who has not, in some way, some fashion, some manner, let the very motions of their hearts yearn for those things that God forbids. And we have been unfaithful, unrighteous, impure. Which brings us to what does the seventh commandment confront us with? What does it confront us with when we look upon it and let it be the mirror that it actually is and expose our human hearts? What we see is that apart from the grace of God, we are impure at our very core. None of us are capable of achieving the high holy purity required by the seventh commandment. Even if we keep the letter of the law like the Pharisees did, we have broken it in some way in spirits. Our imaginations are unclean. Our words have been unseemly. Our eyes have wandered to look on things and linger there uh, which we ought not to look. Our thoughts have dwelled upon things that we should not think even those who have lived what most would consider a pure life outwardly cannot bear up to the weight of the demand of this law. Edmund Clowney, who was a longtime professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, He expresses the sorrowful reality of our guilt under the seventh commandment like this. He says, What husband has not looked on another woman and lusted? What wife has not thought, Why did God give me this husband? Would I have been happier with another? What spouse, male or female, has not dreamed of using his or her body to impress and manipulate? What single has not been tempted to idolize a long for marriage partner rather than trusting God for the sufficient Efficiency of his love, and if our fidelity in marriage and sexuality as humans is weak, what hope do we have at standing pure in our fidelity to our Savior? You see, if we can't be faithful with the things of this earth in our human relationships, how can we ever expect to be faithful to our God and King? Remember that the purity that God Of God is tied to His relationship, His covenant relationship with His people. Because He is pure, we must be pure. He is faithful to us, but we are so unfaithful to Him. There is not a stain of moral corruption upon God. How then can we stand before Him Who is capable of the absolute purity that this seventh commandment demands? Well, thanks be to God, there is one who is, one who was, and one who keeps this law for us, and that is Jesus Christ, the Christ of the commandments. And united to Jesus by faith, we are made clean. We are made pure. That's the promise that we find in the seventh commandment, the promise that it leads us to is this, that Jesus robes us in His purity so that we, as His church, become that spotless bride that is presented to God forever. And we know all of His blessings and all of His benefits. And there is no condemnation from the law despite what we have done because God has forgiven us. I May mean, consider how Christ kept this commandment for you. Consider his purity, a purity that he maintained all throughout his earthly ministry for us whom he makes his own by faith in him. Now, we may think that Jesus was not tempted sexually like us, and He certainly did not possess the inward temptations and motions of a fallen, sinful, corrupt heart because His heart was not fallen. It was perfectly clean and righteous and spotless of all sinful desires. But He was tempted outwardly, just as we are. And now Jesus never married... But he was tempted to be unfaithful. He was tempted to be unfaithful to God the Father and his mission and purpose to redeem sinners. And think about Jesus' temptation. Before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to face the outward temptations of Satan. And it is his faithfulness to the Father and to the mission to redeem God's people that is being put to the test. Satan tempts him to abandon his trust in the Father's good provision by making stones into bread. And Jesus is tempted to test the Father's care and protection by putting it to the test and throwing himself off the highest place of the temple. And Jesus is tempted to bow down and worship Satan in order to achieve the kingship over all the earth that he rightly deserves, a temptation that is aimed directly at Jesus' faithfulness in his relationship to the Father and his mission to save sinners like you and I. In other words, Satan was trying to sever the purity that existed between the Father and the Son, but he could never do that. And Jesus resisted every temptation. And He remained perfectly faithful a perfect and perfectly pure. Where we have failed, Jesus has prevailed, and He did it for sinners like you and I. His holiness becomes our holiness when we turn to Him in faith and repentance. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, before the entrance of the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem there stood a large basin of water. And the priests who were to enter into the tabernacle or the temple to go about the sacrifices and ceremonies of the temple worship were required to wash their hands and their feet before going in, before going in, before the presence of God. And it was meant to signify that purity that is required to be in God's presence. Now, of course, water does not wash away sin. But it was meant to point to a better laver, a better basin of water, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is that basin of water that washes you clean so that you might enter in before God and enjoy Him forever. The pure water of the Word, not just the written Word of God, but of Jesus Christ Himself, the living Word of God, makes all who wash in it to be clean so that we might know God, our Creator. So that we might be pure and undefiled. Because blessed, as Jesus said, are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. You see, Jesus is the fountain that is open for God's people to be cleansed from all their uncleanness. And it is His redeeming blood shed for the remission of sins that washes you clean. Whatever guilt or shame of sin you have in the past or this present, you can go to Jesus right now and He will make you whole. He will make you pure. He will scrub away all the filth, all the dirt, so that you stand forgiven. As first 1 John 1:7 1, says, walk in the light as he is in the light, and so have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus the Son cleanses us from all sin. Meredith George Klein. Another favorite theologian of mine, commenting on the cleansing power of Christ's blood and His sacrifice for sinners, once said that, he said it, he described it this way, he said, it is strange detergent staining blood. But such is the forensic chemistry of the justification of God's chosen priesthood. Jesus, Lamb of God, must pour out His blood in the baptism judgment of His crucifixion so that there might be a baptismal laver filled with blood, a fountain opened where sinners lose all their guilty stains." So yes, the seventh commandment does teach us that God is absolutely pure. And to know Him, we must be pure like Him. But God has provided the way for us to be pure through Jesus Christ, the Christ of the commandments, the only pure One who washes away all the stains of our sin and our guilt that are adulterous hearts have so that we might be made whole and dwell with God forever and ever. And so what's the big takeaway? Well, it's this, that if the the weight of the seventh commandment is leaving you feeling brokenhearted and crushed by your sin, either things you have done in the past or sins you are doing right now in the present, What it is calling you to do is this, is to simply go to Jesus in faith who makes you whole. If you feel the stain of impurity, and that it would keep you from God, then look to him who makes you pure. Look to the promise of God that is yours by faith alone, Jesus Christ, your righteousness. He will cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness, all of your guilt. Be like King David, who after committing adultery with Bathsheba cries out to the Lord in Psalm 51, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you is forgiveness. That you may be feared. Yes, Jesus will and does make you pure. He removes the condemnation of the law and the sting of this seventh commandment so that you can enjoy God's blessed presence both now and forever. Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. As God's people, we must be pure. So strive for that purity by striving in faith for Jesus Christ because He is the only way to stand before God and enjoy His blessings forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for its truth. Truth that it does sting, that pricks our consciences. We feel the weight of your law as it crushes upon us and we see your perfect holiness. But Father, we also see the promise that when we cry out to You in faith and repentance, You do not drive us away. You do not turn us down, but You hear. And the proof of that hearing is seen in that the fact that You have sent Your Son to redeem us, who gave Himself up upon the cross so that every stain of sin and unrighteousness of our adulterous, unfaithful hearts might be washed away and we can be your children forever. Father, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for the gospel. Impress it upon us now as we seek to glorify you, live for you, strive for purity so that we might honor you in all of our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.